0: Welcome to Life, L I F E, Luxury in Full Effect. I'm David Frangione. I'm here with Justin Lee. And this is the show where we interview the people operating at the top of the luxury market from entertainment, real estate, celebrity industries, and everything in between. Together, we'll hear their life stories and how they got to where they are today. Welcome back, everybody, to Billy Amendola Part 2 with David and Justin on Life, L-I-F-E, Luxury in Full Effect. And as you may recall, on Part 1, we talked to Billy about his upbringing in Brooklyn and going through that whole scene, the music business, launching his band, which is, ended up being one of his first bands, Mantis. They had hits, they had a lot of popularity on the verge of huge breakthrough success, and then Billy's uh, transition into the studio world. And when we left off, he was just coming on board with Modern Drummer, which is where we'll pick up today. Welcome back, Billy
1: Amendola.
2: Hey, everybody. How are you? Thank you for having me again. I guess I did okay.
1: You guys invited me back. There's too much Billy to go around for one show, so we have to, That's right. we have That's right. to break it up into two.
0: You've lived quite a life, my friend, quite a life. So let's jump into Modern Drummer. What happens? You come into Modern Drummer, and what's the story there?
2: So... I think we where we left off, like the studio scene was starting to dry up. I was doing studio work. So I started freelancing for Modern Drama for the festivals as their artist liaison because I knew a lot of the manufacturers and I knew a lot of the artists. And I did that for almost 10 years. I did every festival. I think the festival went on for 25 years, but I did all of them except the first one, which I actually attended. And I got to know the Spagnatis, Ron spegnatti and Isabel and, and Laurie really well. Ron kind of took me under his wing.
0: And Ron was the founder of the magazine.
2: Ron was the founder of the magazine publisher. He kind of took me under his wing. We had a really close bond. After me working at the festival, we just developed a, a really close, he was almost like a father figure to me at that point. He basically told me at the festival that he was ill and he had some health issues and I was devastated at when he told me that because I, I loved him like a father and as a friend and, he, and i was very close to him and then when he told me that he was ill my first thing was well w- what's going to happen to the magazine well what so, year is this
0: now where are we
2: officially started working in 97 so this is probably 96 now and this is after doing the festival and and my son was already like 10 years old at this point so I was pretty much looking. I wasn't going to go on the road anymore. So at this point, I was like, okay, now what am I going to do with my life? And the band, Mantis, did get back together in 96. We had a little reunion, and we played for that year, but it's not what we wanted to do, and it just didn't work out. So I was kind of looking for something else to do. So when I said to him what's going to happen to the magazine, he said, well, the magazine will be fine. And I just said to him, if there's anything I can do, Let me know. I'll do anything I can. You need help. I'll do anything I can. He said, well, how are you going to do that? You're always on the road and you're busy all the time. And I said, no, I'm not going to go on the road anymore. So I'm going to I'm going to be around. You know, I basically just as a friend was, you know, I wanted to give my support. You know, I was worried about what was going to happen to him and, and to the magazine. So long story short, that was a Saturday, and then he said, call me on Tuesday, because Mondays we always had off after after the festival, because that was a lot of hard work. He said, call me on, on Tuesday, and let's let's talk about it. And I called him that Tuesday, and he said, and I, and I lived in Brooklyn, and the, the office was in New Jersey, so my commute was like o- over pretty much an hour with no traffic, both each way. So he said to me, um, I know you're not going to be able to make the commute, and I never worked in an office before, so I never... I I had no idea about working in an office. I never worked in an office. So he said, how would you like to work for me two days a week? Would you be able to come out to the office two days a week? And I said, sure, but what am I going to do? And he said, when you get here, we'll figure it out. And then I went out there. I, 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 I took a ride out there and it was a, it's a brutal commute, but I went out there and we spoke and he, pretty much created a job for me. He wanted me there, which I I really appreciated. And he knew that I would be dedicated and and loyal and do my best to do whatever I had to do. So I became an advertising assistant with uh, Bob Berenson. I really didn't know anything about advertising, but I knew a lot of the manufacturers. So I was able to get on the phone and help Bob make calls. And basically at that time we still had film. So I basically just had to put the four colors together and, you know, the negatives and make sure everything was right and put the ads together. And then I did that for. But,
0: but hold on a second. As that's going on, that transitioned to your editor at large? Or how did that segue into what I'd call even a bigger? Run?
2: Well, what had happened was then as I was there and working two days a week, I was doing that. And then also TX me then at that point after about a year. He asked me, would I come in three days a week? And then I said, um, yeah, because in that time period, he would invite me into the editorial meetings, which was really unheard of because in those days you didn't cross advertising with editorial, but I knew so many of the artists. So he started inviting me to the editorial meetings and he started to really basically take me under his wing and, and pretty much teach me the magazine business and what it was like, you know, what his job was like. I started, so I started three days and then I became an advertising assistant slash editorial assistant. I basically was learning, was training on the job basically. And like I said, I never worked in an office before. So there were things, you know, everybody was used to calling each other on an intercom where I would just get up and walk over to somebody's office. And I realized, you know, some people didn't like that. I had to get my etiquette of working in an office, what it was like. But I had a very good rapport with Ron. Ron involved me in a lot of things that he would ask my opinion about things. And and this went on for a good five years that he took me under his wing. And then I was working the three days and doing the commute. Unfortunately, five years later, he made me an editor. Because at that point, I started doing interviews. And basically what had happened was it just gradually morphed into its own thing because I would be at the end of the meeting and I would listen to what would go on and they'd say, well, we would like to get so-and-so on the cover, but we don't know how to get in touch. We have to get in touch with his manager or his publicist. And I would say, oh, that's a really good friend of mine. I could call him right now if you'd like. Basically, that's how it evolved. I just basically started calling a lot of my friends that Modern Drummer had to go through channels to get to I could just pick up the phone and call them and say, hey, would you like to do an interview for Modern Drama?" And then Ron started saying to me, you just have to turn the tape recorder on now when you're speaking to these guys because they called me at home. Every I was friends with a lot of people. So I saw people all the time. So he was like, well, all you got to, and I kept saying it, but I'm not an editor. I'm not a journalist. I, you know, that's not me. He was like, all you got to do is get these guys, have a conversation and get it on tape. At the time, Sue Herring was a, uh, transcribing for us. I would give it a tape. She would transcribe it and I would put my story together and and that would be it. So he made me an editor, associate editor. And then unfortunately, right after that, he passed away. It totally blew my mind. And then the type of person, I'll give you a little insight of what Ron was like. I was on a cruise in Alaska and he was going for chemo and going pretty much suffering, but he would not let me know How bad it was because he did not want to ruin my vacation. Oh my gosh! Wow! What a guy! Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then when I got home and saw how bad it was, I was uh, just—it was just—it bothers me to this to this day.
0: (laughs) Wow, that's crazy! Huge trauma, and and I mean. The loss of a friend, a mentor, uh, an industry icon, I and mean, you know all of those things are
2: right. Exactly, combined.
0: Exactly. Yeah, it, it was. It was
2: more. It was more. Yeah, yeah it, it was more than I was losing my boss. You know, I, I, you know, I was. I was losing my a, a father figure.
1: Yeah. He obviously had the foresight in you though, which was so incredible to nurture you and to put you in that position. So when the time came, you were, you were ready, you know, you were ready to fill those shoes and, and, and listen, and something amazing for you too, you know, to be a part of. Oh yeah,
2: no, it was, it was, it was just an opportunity that just worked out for me unbelievably. And it just kind of felt, it gave me that feeling. I always felt like I was blessed in life and that just kind of made me really feel like okay i guess someone's watching out for me and things always will fall into place and things will always happen
0: amazing that's a big i mean that's faith in real time you know <laughs> that's not yeah. like just the story we're reading like that's what happened in your life that's huge faith
2: yeah and then at that point tracy who became the associate publisher she came to me and said can we need you here five days a week? Can you work five days a week? And that was a stretch because I mean I I did and I did that commute for 15 years up until five years ago when they even moved a little bit further. The offices moved a little bit further. Um, I spent more time in the car sometimes than I than I did at the office. But I paid my dues. You know I dedicated myself to my job and. I didn't play as much at that point, and it worked out because the opportunities weren't there to play as much because the studios were all closing down and everybody had home studios. They weren't hiring people to play anymore on records, so everything kind of just fell into place just at the right time.
0: Before, before we go into the modern drummer responsibilities and, and all the amazing artists that you've worked with, with them, et cetera, kind of the... The, the glamorous part of the job, if you will. When you talk about paying your dues, you know, this is like if we understand your story and know it the way that we you've shared with us and our listeners over these two parts, this is the third time at least that you've done what you needed to do in paying your dues in a specific situation, giving it everything you had, sacrificing tremendously, given and your heart and soul. And I just want to speak to that because I can speak for myself and I can speak for my good friend and partner, Justin, because I know him so well and I've watched what he's been through, that that's what it's really like. You see the fruits of someone's labor. You see them drive a nice car, live in a nice house or hang out with cool people or eat at nice restaurants, etc. The luxury side of life, if you will. But what it takes to get there is so much bigger and more difficult than what most people ever realize to the point where I've had people tell me, and I felt like this as well some days if I actually knew what it was going to take before I did it, I might not have done it. You know, it's so extreme what sacrifices have to be made to get somewhere. And, you know, here you are just in just telling your story, it's so clear you know, that you were already successful. You were already, you had to sacrifice and kind of start from the beginning with Mantis. Then you had to do the same thing in the studio world because you can only bring so much credibility from the Mantis world into the studio world. So most of it's starting over again, uh, at least in the eyes of people who will hire you. Then you do it a third time with Modern Drummer. And that's really, for everybody listening, that's what it looks like on your path to a luxury life. And to accomplishing your goals and accomplishing your dreams. What do you think about that, JSL?
1: I mean, I think you're you're absolutely right. And it's so you know what it just goes to show? It's like you can't map it out. You know, it's one foot in front of the other and one day at a time, and one thing leads you to another, and you never know what door is gonna open up from where you came from. Listen. We have some some special news to share. We'll share today on the show some good news. But like your journey, David, and your journey, Billy, I mean, from where you guys came from to where you, know, you are now is you never could have written that in a million years. It was literally life sort of opening the doors and just taking the opportunity. And I think that that's the most important thing is to look at that and say, you have to be very clear of who you are and what you're good at and the world you want to surround yourself in. And you just keep moving in that direction and you got to take those opportunities when the doors open. And, and that's you know something,
0: you, something that speaking to that, cause you're, that's brilliant and absolutely right. Speaking to that, I, I heard something. I went to this great seminar. There's a self-help guru named Mastin Kipp. He's genius. And uh, I was at this seminar Listening to him, and I got a lot from it. But one of the things I'll never forget you know, you love when you hear these things that you never forget is he said, The map and the terrain never match. And mm-hmm. he said, what, it, what would it be like if the Marines that have a map in Afghanistan land with the map and they land in the terrain and they go, Oh, wait, there's no bridge here. It showed it on the map. We're out of here forget this. I mean, what would the world look like if that's how the leaders and the winners of the world reacted to the map and the terrain not matching? And it was so profoundly true. So you need the map and you need to put one step in front of the other and never stop going forward. But the strategy to doing that is having the understanding and the belief system that the map and the terrain never will match. And Billy's life story is a perfect example of that. Whatever he had mapped out, the terrain was far different.
1: No, I mean, and Billy, as you were telling your story, I was thinking of that. And I had like, you know, a slew of questions in my brain from you going from being this rock star performing in the studio and living that lifestyle to then going to an office two days a week and then three days a week and then five days a week. The transition. And as you said, like, you know, you had to learn the etiquette. It's a whole different ballgame to learn how to be in those different settings but i was still thinking you know when you were telling your stories about also how cool it was for you that you know at least you got to stay in the same lane as you were before you know it's always music music was always the common right
2: right and drumming right
1: right a lot of and drumming because listen a lot of people don't get the opportunity they make shifts And they go from one, you know, from one career to another, even though, you know, from what you're doing now to listen, you still you're still in the studio, you're still writing, you're still performing, you're doing all that stuff. But to have this as well as and have such a profound impact and deliver so much information through the magazine that it's so integral what you're doing and bringing to the magazine. I just think it's um, a very, very cool thing. And it's inspiring for other people to really find out what you love to do and, you know, stay in that lane as much as you can. And just one foot in front of the other. You know, there's only so much planning that you can do.
0: And be open-minded. It also reminds me that you participated in the first festival, as you said, without a role, without any attachments or obligations on anybody's behalf. You just wanted to be there because you loved drumming. You loved Ron. You loved modern drummer. You loved the drummers. Oh, and,
2: and, and And modern drummer used to, I used to be in modern drummer. They used to write about when I played on a new record, I would be in news and they would do, they did a little story on me. Rick, Rick Van Horn. He would always include me in the magazine when I was, playing rock star so before the magazine that was a, a, a different thing in itself full circle
1: totally okay. yeah
0: so in your role as editor at large and you're grinding away with the crazy commute and your role at modern drummers pretty clear tell us just share some cool stories about being the editor at large because you deal with a lot of rock stars and i'm sure a lot of people would like to hear some cool stories about them and things you've learned along the way
2: the cool stories is 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 just they just happen i mean there's just so so many positions i mean a lot of the times you know uh, as i would work and go on with modern drummer and i would be the one that would be at a lot of shows and i would get invited to shows like i said i was friends with a lot of these people
0: but it's almost like you're an artist relations person for md as much as anything right
2: Exactly. And that's how it started with me as being artist liaison at the fest. That's a good way to put it. If I was working at a record company, right, I would be the A&R person. And, and and pretty much that's what I was. So a lot of the artists would, even if they were complaining about something, they would just call me at home because they had my home phone number and we were friends. And sometimes they would forget that I work for Modern Drummer and they would be complaining about Modern Drummer, about certain things, or they didn't like the writer that did the story on them or he misinterpret what they said, they took something out of context, you know, they would just call me and just confide in me. And the book that I can't write is got all the great stories and all, I know where all the the, the bodies are buried. I mean, mm-hmm. cause the tape recorder stays on sometimes. And of course it's off the record. Everything about, you know, what I did was cool, but a lot of it sometimes blended because some things had nothing to do with modern drama, but I was still doing stuff And modern drama, I was still representing modern drama, but the the lines were a little blurred because sometimes it had nothing to do with modern drama. But modern drama kind of benefited a little bit by what I was doing because I kind of because I was the one that was out and I was the one at all the shows and I knew so many people. I kind of became like what. Some people say the face of of modern drama, which I never, that wasn't my intent. We have a great team from day one, and a lot of the same people are there, or they've been there for twenty. I've been there twenty years; they've been there even longer. So we have a great, great team, and you know I couldn't do it without them. And there's some things that they know that they couldn't do without without me. So it, it, the balance worked, but there was a lot of times where I did a lot of things where it had nothing to do with modern drama, but modern drama still was there in presence because of of my relationship with the artist or who, whoever then it give
0: was. give us a story.
2: Well, I mean, one, 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 one story that's, that, that, of course, is, is the best story is I got to meet Ringo. If I wasn't working, I met Ringo before I was working for Modern Drummer when he hosted Saturday Night Live. But that was just to say hello to him. I happened to be backstage.
0: And this is your inspiration, because at the beginning of the story on part one, you were talking about you saw the Beatles, your friends saw the Beatles, you started a band. Yeah, the rest of no, it all,
2: it, it, all, it all comes down to Ringo, which is kind of funny, because it, everything went full circle. So um, the girl that I was living with at the time, Maria, was a pretty big shot at MTV. So we had got invited to go to Saturday Night Live, and she surprised me by taking me, because Ringo was the host that night. And I got to meet him backstage. Actually, I was more excited because Jamie Lee Curtis was backstage because I didn't realize she was dating uh, Christopher Guest, who she's still married to now. But anyway, I said hello to Ringo. I shook his hand. He was with Barbara, you know. But he just shook my hand, walked away, and I, you know that was it.
0: This is before cell phone cameras and everything. Oh
2: yeah, yeah. No, this this was yeah, and, and and it was backstage saying hello, being introduced, saying hello. But I got to meet Ringo. I got to shake his hand and say great show because he was hysterical on the show it was it was really funny Billy Crystal was on it was during that period I it was in the 80s it was before I was at Modern Drummer then when I started working at Modern Drummer I became friends I went I was assigned to go to one of Ringo's press conferences I went to one of uh, Ringo's press conferences and I took Bob with me because I was still doing advertising with Bob so we were close and we were always together and we worked together and I said to him well I'm gonna do an e- editor's thing today." I was invited to go to a Ringo press conference. And this was just when the All-Stars were just kind of starting. So me and him went to the press conference and we friended David Fishoff, who at the time was was running and invented Ringo and his All-Stars. So we we met David and I took pictures. You know, I I did my job. I, I took pictures at a press conference and Ringo knew that somebody from Modern Drummer was there and he didn't know anybody at Modern Drummer. He knew, he knew Robin Flans, who had interviewed him, but it was a job, you know, that that was what she had to do to interview him. She did, I think, two his two cover stories, because at this point, he was already on the cover twice at this point. But anyway, I met David Fishroff and me and David Fishroff hit it off for some reason. We really hit it off that day, and he loved the magazine. His brother played drums, so he knew about the magazine, and we kind of just hit it off. And then he invited me. He said, next time Ringo comes to town, you know, I want you to come to the show, and blah, blah, blah. And then, of course, us being modern drummer and, you know, the number one drum magazine in the world, Ringo being probably the most famous drummer in the world, we kind of build a relationship. So David would invited me to a show. Of course, I would, if I wanted to interview Ringo, if I needed a quote from Ringo, I would get it. It would come through David. So I got to know Ringo little by little by being invited to the show. And for the longest time, probably for a good 10 years, Ringo didn't know my name, but he knew my face. And he used to call me Mr. Rock and Roll. You know, I would just say hello to him and we would take a photo, would go in the magazine, talk about the tour. And basically I was doing my job. But as the years went on, I got closer and closer to Ringo. And then I kind of, the way things work in life, I don't know how, I don't know things happen. I kind of like just started meeting everybody in the Beatles world. You know, I became really good friends with May Pang a long, long time ago. All of a sudden, I was like in a Beatle world. I was meeting everybody that had something to do with the the Beatles. And then, as as that was going on, I was getting closer and closer to Ringo. I would see him quite often. Little by little, he would recognize me. And then we got to know each other. I mean, it took a lot of years. And then he basically just knew that I was the drummer guy from the magazine. But he happened to be a fan of the magazine, which was a, a pretty cool thing. Anyway, it's leading all up to... One of the coolest thing was, um, now I'm friends with Ringo, and sometimes he actually feels like he gets, he kind of gets a little excited to see me, and we fool around now, and he knows my name, and we have a great time when we're together, and I still respect him, you know, I never push the limit. Whenever people see me with him, or they know he's in town, I get a thousand phone calls, people want me to introduce them, can I get them tickets for the show, can, can I, you know, give this to Ringo, can I do that for Ringo? And of course, no, I don't even, that's not how it works. I even made a joke with Ringo one time. I said, can I just get a bus load of people and bring all, all my friends and everybody who wants to meet you just, you know, to get it over with. And you just, you know, you get on the bus, you say hello to everybody. And he looked at me and he went, no. And, then that, and that was the end of that. And when I and he knew I was.
0: All right. So Justin, Justin, ignore those texts. I was just sending you asking you when he's going to introduce us. All right, go on.
2: <laughs> so, so, I mean, I knew at, I knew at that point, you know, I, he knew I was half joking, but it would, have, it would have been a nice thing. So we just got closer and closer. And then the best thing was a couple of years ago, I think it's three years ago now, he invited me to play on stage for a little help from my friends. I played percussion. He invited me on stage to actually play. you got to be kidding me.
0: So you're saying, announcing on this show, that you have a credit playing on the stage with a Beatle. And nonetheless, your childhood and lifelong hero and drum inspiration Ringo Starr that's what you're saying
2: yeah I mean some some people I've done interviews before since then so I mean it's out there that I did it but I never really super promoted it or made a big thing out of itself I didn't I didn't want well yeah and I didn't and and I didn't and I didn't it was kind of strange but then I teased Ringo about it and I said yeah because he made a little joke and I said yeah but it was great being on stage with you, I said, but I was just as happy to be on stage with Steve Lukather and Todd Rundgren and Greg Rowley and Greg Bissonette. You know, I was there, with all the all stars because it was great. It was unbelievable to be on stage with Ringo, but it was also even better that all these other guys that I always looked up to. You know, Steve Lukather is my favorite guitar player. I love Toto, Jeff Picaro. Oh, Toto was one of my favorite bands. So, yeah. Now I'm on stage, you know, Santana, going back to Santana, and now Greg Rowley, you know, it was, and Todd Rundgren, of course. It was just a magical, magical night that kind of like I was able to breathe after that and say, well, maybe I did good. Maybe I did, maybe I do belong here, you know, and I do feel blessed. It happened.
1: It wasn't planned. Wow. What What an incredible, I mean, who gets the, listen, and that again, the the steps that you took to get there, from starting off in music to getting you. I mean, do you think you would ever have been in that situation if you weren't at the magazine? You know, you you would have, you would have been, you know, a mutual musician alongside. But to be able to have this relationship and to to get to that point, I mean, that is really, really, really inspirational for sure.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, I I mean, I I might have I might have met him somewhere along the line. You know, who, who knows? I, I really don't yeah. know. I mean, I met John Lennon, had nothing. You yeah, know, yeah. when I was a kid, and that had nothing to do with anything. Just that I was a fan and I happened to meet him. And wow. and Yoko, him and Yoko, and I'm and I'm friends and wow. I'm friends with Yoko to 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 this day. So that's over forty wow. years.
0: That, no, it's amazing. That's and awesome. I I don't think there's a lot of happenstance in all this. I mean, of course, we can all say. Well, it might have happened anyway during another situation or maybe I would have met him another time, but really it all happens the way it's supposed to happen or it wouldn't happen that way. So, I right. think it all And
2: you to- can't plan it. You can't think in your head. As soon as you start to think in your head about what's going to happen, it's never going to. Well, gonna when happen. you went to
0: the show that night, did you did you know already that you were going to sit in and play on Little Help? No,
2: Hell? no, no. I went I went to the show. I was invited to the show. And, it had, and this had nothing to do with Modern Drummer at all. I was just in, invited to to come to the show, and it was in Staten Island. It was really kind of funny because I knew I was invited. And when I get invited to the show, his publicist, Elizabeth Freud, is 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 amazing. I love her, and I know her a very long time from back in the days with David Fisher. I was invited to the show, and I was hanging out with Jeff Chonis, his longtime drum tech, and we were all talking, and we were backstage, and at this point, Ringo was kind of, he knew we were coming and he want, we were going to all say hello. He was waiting at the top of the stairs for us as we were walking up the stairs. And he always pushes me to the side now and he hugs my wife first and he kisses my wife first and everything. And then, and then he'll he'll hug me and I'll give him a kiss on the cheek. And it's kind of strange because he doesn't really shake hands. He just bumps with people or elbows. But we do hug each other and I don't take that for granted. He knows He knows I love him. We were hanging out and we were talking. We were just talking about a couple of things and, and then it was Father's Day. So I, I was saying goodbye to him and I was, you know, was g- going to go back to our seats and I gave him a hug and wished him happy Father's Day. And then I said to him, you know, if you, if you really wanted me to come out and play, I would have, but maybe another time. And he said, oh, Chasm beat you to it. And Chasm is Chasm Sultan. Because Chasm lives in Staten Island, and he played with Todd, so he was at the show. I said, all right, no problem. I'll get you next time. And he went, ha, Chasm beat you to it. And then I hugged him goodbye, I went, and we went back, and I was going to say goodbye to Jeff on the side of the stage. As I'm saying goodbye to Jeff, it wasn't even three minutes. Somebody came over to me and said, the boss said that Chasm's going to play acoustic guitar and sing, and you're going to play percussion. So be stage right when you hear a photograph and be ready to come up for a little help for my friends. And he walked away. Now, I really thought I was being, I thought Ringo was really teasing and punking me. And I I turned around to look to see if there were cameras around. And I, I really thought I was being punked. And I said to Jeff, I said, is that true? And he goes, if that's what the boss said, that's what the boss wants. I turned around to my wife and I just went, holy shit. And I said to her, don't say anything because I still couldn't believe that it was going to happen. And I still didn't think it was going to happen. And I, I didn't know what was going to happen. Then we, as we're walking to our seats, because it's in Staten Island, 75% of my family lives in Staten Island. I'm seeing all relatives in the lobby. And I did not say anything to anyone about it at all. And we went to our seats and Chris, my wife, said, you should tell Maddie, our son, Maddie. She texts Maddie and said, daddy's going to play with Ringo tonight. And he just wrote back, holy shit. That's what, that's what he, you know, he had the same reaction that I did. I sat there, we watched the whole show. I try not to think about it. And then photograph, he started playing photograph. And then I walked to the side of the stage. I went to the backstage area and I said, Uh, Ringo told me to come backstage because I'm going to sit in for a little help from my friends. And they said, who are you? What's your name? I told them. They went to the back. They came back like 30 seconds, opened the curtain for me. And next thing I know, I'm on the side of the stage. He's finishing up photograph. And there it was. Next thing I know, I was was on stage. And you had to go. I didn't see. I
0: didn't know the part of the story that you waited the whole show knowing you were going to go up there. I mean, that's pretty... That's like, I'm sure at this point, you don't get nervous about much, but that's so surreal.
2: Well, yeah, I mean that I I was hoping that, yeah, I was hoping that my anxiety wasn't going to like get the best of me at that point, because I didn't think about it. I really didn't know if it was really going to happen. So by time it did happen, and I was on the stage, I felt pretty relaxed and comfortable. And I kind of just went with the moment like, Wow, this is gonna happen, and it's happening, and here it is. And then the best part is because it's on it's on YouTube somewhere. The best part was, you know, I did it. And then I wasn't gonna come down to take the bow because it was the last song. And and when Ringo finishes, when he comes back out, he does a little help for my friends. And then when he comes back out, he does a little bit of give peace a chance. And then as the band's still playing, he's in the car and he's gone. He doesn't see anybody after after the show. If you don't see him before, you're not gonna see him. So he's already in the car and gone. I I did what I did what I had to do, and then. The band all came up front in a row to do, to do their bow, and they invited me. They were calling me to come down and do the bow with them. As I'm doing the bow with them and I'm saying to myself, oh, my God, this is insane. This is incredible. I'm doing the bow. I have all my family members and people that have friends that, that live in Staten Island screaming out my name, calling me. So <laughs> it's like, it was like, <laughs> yeah. I think Steve Luka looked at me at one point and was like, how do all these people know all these people know you? I was like, yeah, it's a long story. And um, I did the bow with them, and then we all Italian, walked
0: off. Staten Islanders, Amendola. Oh, yeah. I love
2: it. <laughs> so it was like it was pretty funny. And then the funniest part, yeah, you want a cool story? This is the funniest part. We get home. I, I leave the venue, and now I'm, as I'm walking to the car, people are starting to recognize me, so they're talking to me, they asking me, and I just wanted to get to the car because my adrenaline was flowing, and I wanted to just get to the car and get in the car, and then we we called Maddie to tell him everything that went on, and I just wanted to get home. We wound up, me and my wife, going to get something to eat. It was an amazing night, so we were both on a kind of little high, natural high, and then we come home, and then as, as, as we come home, I pull the car into the garage, and I walk out, and she turns around, and she goes, we notice everybody's garbage is out, and the next day was garbage day, and she goes, Oh, it's garbage day. you gotta take the garbage out. And she walks into the house. As she's walking in, here am I pulling out the garbage cans, all the garbage cans for garbage <laughs> the next day and I and I turn around, I go, Here, why don't you film this? This is what you should be filming. And she's like, Yeah, just put out the garbage cans it's back to life now and she went in the house, I pulled out the garbage cans, and then I came in and, and that was it. <laughs> it was like, Okay, get up Yeah,
0: back to the real world. There's all they're all in <laughs> the Beatles. Wow.
2: Get up the next day and just start off. Oh,
0: I love it. Wow, what a moment, though,
1: of all the artists in the world. If just we want to look for that YouTube clip, what do we type uh, in?
2: I guess if you put Billy Amendolo and Ringo Starr, I guess, that, that, okay. I, I, think, I think it comes up. Because we'll it. okay, cool. I had kind of posted it, and, I don't, and my page is not really public, so I never really publicized.
0: I've never even seen it. i got to check it out. I remember seeing a picture of you – playing the percussion and you were on stage with them. But the rest of the story I didn't know and I've never seen the video. So I'm going to check it out because that's just awesome.
2: Yeah. Well, it was great like you the other day when you sent me, we were talking about Richard Marks and uh, you sent me you playing with Richard Marks, that whole set with Richard Marks. That was, that was impressive. That was great.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Yep. that was a That was a very... Memorable evening, to say the least. It was the Phil Collins uh, Little Dreams Foundation, and I was musical director and COO of for a few years. And that was our inaugural gala concert. That Phil was supposed to headline, and Richard was one of the stars performing. And as musical director and drummer, I played that night with him and uh, Let's Alejandro Guzman and Laura Passini, and Gigi D'Alessio with Anna Tatangelo from Italy. And then Phil was supposed to perform, but got sick and couldn't perform. And so it was quite the night. But the Richard Marks set was a uh, thank you for saying that.
2: Yeah, R- 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 yeah, Richard's one of my favorite singer-songwriters. And he was an all-star he, at one time. He was uh, an
0: all-star. Oh, wow. Okay, wow. I, I, I think I might have missed that one. And you've met... You have mentioned David Fischoff a few times in this interview. Tell everybody who, who he is.
2: Yeah, David Fishoff, uh well, besides starting Ringo and the All-Stars, he put that whole thing together and managed Ringo, uh, all those tours. David Fischoff runs the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp. And uh, that's celebrating its 20th year now. That just celebrated its 20th year. There's actually a documentary c- coming out on David. And, of course, the Fantasy Camp is, uh, is a big part of it. But David's been involved in, in a lot with monkey tours and roger daltry does a lot of things with roger Daltrey. he's the boss of the rock and roll fantasy camp and we've modern drama has been in, involved with uh with the fantasy camp for most of the 20, 20 years actually
0: do you know where the documentary can be seen when it's coming out, people want to check oh uh, it well,
2: it's being it's, it's still being filmed
0: oh, okay so like I, a
2: actually a couple of weeks ago i just i was interviewed for it so it's it's in the midst The people that are doing um 20 Feet from Stardom, that's the company that, that'll that be putting it out. So, it'll you know, it'll be a regular documentary. It should be, you know, on Netflix and Amazon everywhere when, when, it, when it does come out.
0: That's awesome. So, you're still with Modern Drummer. We got to get so to
2: Now, a- these days, yeah, these days I'm still with Modern Drummer. And I think um, we're going to have some great, great new opportunities and some changes coming up. And we have some plans to really show people how important and valuable the the brand of modern dr- drummer is. You know, print, people think in general that there's a problem with print and, you know, the way of the world, there's a little something about print. I don't see print disappearing like overnight. It's a different ball game nowadays, but I don't see print disappearing. But well, one I, thing I, for well, sure I is...
0: I don't either. I mean, look, Justin, we know you live in Beverly Hills. There's that cool uh, newsstand on uh, Beverly right? Just South Wilshire, right? I love Stan. And, um, you know, you've seen all the transformations of the different mediums that we have. And, you know, CD, obviously, for the most part, went away, although there, was still, there are still artists that sell a lot of CDs, LPs back. I agree with Billy that obviously print is on a decline overall, and we probably won't see that reversed. But the death of it and the lack of interest in it is greatly exaggerated. I I mean, I love print. I love bringing a magazine with me. Yeah, it's more efficient to have a Kindle or to have it on an iPad, but there are certain magazines, just like there are certain LPs and CDs, that I want to be able to hand around. I want to be able to rip pages out or take pictures of the pages, and that's my way of digitizing it, or carry it around, show it to people, bring it to uh, a rehearsal
1: or a show or get it autographed? I mean, what do you think, JSL? I mean, it's, it's you know, agree. I You know, I'm always about like moving along with the times and, you know, things change and things shift, but there is something to say about, it's a whole different experience, having it on your iPad, having it on your Kindle and actually holding the magazine. I definitely think that a magazine is something that will I think books may be you know a little bit you know sometimes easier to do it on the Kindle and stuff, but there's something about a magazine, it's fresh, it's new, it's weekly, it's monthly that I do believe kind of stands on its own. and i and I think that they both can they both can survive. you know i you know david, I mean you I know you, David, you're very, very technological, so you like everything, you know, computerized, but there's still a few of those things that we do like to hold and to look through and to, to have sort of that many different reasons why we like it in, in the different ways, you know, and well, I agree I'm with
0: you to rise, but I have a museum full of magazines and books. So how ironic is that? Well, of course, exactly. <laughs> you know, there's Obviously. just something <laughs> yeah. about, I think yeah. it's the combo. Yeah. I don't think you can take print away and have the same outcome, even though it ends up in a digital archive, and you can reference it later on, that initial release to me is like, I don't know, I, I just think it's significant. I don't think we can fight, as you said, Justin, I don't think we can fight the, the times or, or we even it's want... There, it's an experience. There's fewer there's fewer, it is, and there are fewer newsstands and outlets. So, you know, just like record stores and it's following a similar trajectory to music, but it's doing it in a much more natural way because it hasn't been cannibalized and stolen. So like music was where it had to pivot very differently. This is just taking a much more gradual approach as movies are, we could say, um, where, you know, they'll shift with the times. So what's going on with Modern Drummer then? You were saying that,
2: well, and, well this, and this is the thing, too. It's, it's, it's the brand. Like, Modern Drummer, no matter what, we're coming up to 40-something years now. We're getting close, closer to a few more years. It'll be 50 years. So the brand of Modern Drummer and the wealth of information over those course of all those years, that's never going to go away. That's never going to go. We, we always have exclusives. We always have the first to pretty much break a new drummer. Hopefully, we, you know, we get it right nine out of 10 times where you know we introduce a drummer to the world really and the brand is never going to go away I mean modern drummer is is pretty powerful I mean for drummers of course it's always been called the bible of drumming but even for musicians because nowadays you got so many multi-instrumentalists so there's different things now that I think I'll let David announce this big news
0: David, let's put an- it this- I'm
2: going ask Hold you on to
1: announce it. You- <laughs>
2: <laughs> We're going to draw I, straws? I, 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 let me, I'll, I'll, I'll announce it this way. Let me introduce you to David Frangioni, my new boss.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Well, thank you very much. Uh, well, I'm honored and uh, privileged to say that I am the publisher of Modern Drummer now, appointed by the Spagnardi family. To whom I'm very grateful for their belief in me, and for the staff of Modern Drummer's belief in me. Of course, your support, Billy, goes without saying. Tracy and uh, Kevin and the whole team is just um, you know outstanding, and it's just very aligned. You know, for me, Modern Drummer is definitely and will always be the bible for drumming, and it is a brand that is much bigger than just a magazine. It transcends just a magazine it really stands for Drummers United. It really represents all things, all drummers, all the time. So for me to be at the helm, to take all that I've learned in business and music and rock and roll and drumming and life and technology and fuse those into the brand is an incredible challenge and honor. I feel really good about it because so much of what Modern Drummer stands for will just be evolved and elevated and not touched in any way other than just making it better. But it's going to be a lot of incremental changes that in the outcome will be really a brand new modern drummer, but only in the sense that we're, we're taking it into today. We're taking yeah. everything that's been built and everything it stands for, and we're just expanding it as could never previously be done. And at all times, in the spirit of Ron Spagnardi, the founder, your mentor, the publisher, and the reason that we're all here talking about Modern Drummer, it's, you know, it's, the spirit he had, the vision he had is one that is as viable and important and relevant today as it was in 1977 when he started the magazine. Uh, and if he were here today, he would be expanding it in the way that we're going to. So I'm excited about it. And I think the, the ultimate winners will be all the drummers because that's what we're doing it for.
1: Yeah. I hundred percent. Yeah. To be David, this is like such an incredible thing and so integral for where you come from, David and what you've done. And David, will you talk a little bit about the museum? I just want our listeners to understand sort of what you've done and and how integral this move is right now.
0: Well, the museum is part of Frangioni Foundation, and it's also the Modern Drummer Hall of Fame Museum, which was something we concocted a couple of years ago before, any, before I was on board in any capacity. Uh, I've just always been very passionate about the magazine and thought that it, the Hall of Fame should be represented in an actual building uh, with actual drums, and um, so I thought that that was a great collaboration along with my nonprofit friend, Joni Foundation. So I put it together and now we're here to serve mostly children, you know, but people who we can inspire and who we can help, you know, create the next generation of drummers, whether they have the means to do it or not, we're helping them and giving them the means. So, if, you know, there are people out there whose life circumstances are such that affording a, a pair of sticks and a, practice pad and lessons is a very big challenge. And I don't want that to be a reason why somebody can't be a drummer or can't explore how passionate they are about the drums. So we're offering this to everybody. It's, you know, 2019, 2020 will be big years to growing the foundation. It's already been in existence for several years. The museum's a private museum, but we're looking at ways to open up those channels as well but we're helping a lot of kids. You know, my only question is when in the hell are you guys coming down and seeing it? What's going on here? <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, Billy, it's on. We got it. We, gone, yeah. we got to it. You
0: know.
2: uh, well, I, I, I kind of, the other day I was in the office and, and Dave, and, and, you know, I go to the office now. I only go to the office one day a week, which is, which is a great thing. Um I've been fortunate now that I don't have to make that commute anymore for the last, uh, Five or six years. I work from home and then I go to the office one day a week for meetings. So on Tuesday, I'm driving to work and Dave's calling me and then I get to work and Dave's on the phone and he's calling me and, and, I, and I made a joke and I said, you know, I have to take this call now because you're my boss. But do you want me to work? Because I'm at the office now. The one day I'm at the office, I, I'm supposed to be working. But he was calling about work related things. So I was teasing a little bit. I said, are you going to be like Prince now? Because he said, well, you know, if you were in Florida, we could be t- doing this face to face. And I said, oh, are you going to be like Prince now where we got to have a, we all have to have a bag ready to go? Because that's what Prince used to do. Like you always had to have a bag ready to ready. go at all times because he would call at 2 o'clock, 2 a.m. in the morning and say, OK, everybody, uh, I need you to down in the lobby at 830. We're, we're, we're going we're getting on the jet and we're going. And then and you'd have to be down there with your bag, get on that jet. He wouldn't even tell you where sometimes you didn't even tell the band where they were going until they got there.
0: Well, I can let Justin answer how real that could be. <laughs> 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 <Billy> exactly. <back. laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, get the bag packed. Get the bag packed. <laughs> I want both of you guys to move to South Florida or or as Billy and I talked about, we'll all move to Beverly Hills and follow Justin, but we all need to be in the same place. That's one of the reasons we're doing this podcast, is so we can stay aligned. And you know, there's so much, there's so much to accomplish, and so many great things.
2: And this is one of the greatest things about technology: we yeah. we can That's afford true. to to do things like this by being in three different locations. True. And
1: no, three true. of the
2: coolest locations, probably in the world.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, I I agree. I love I love all three cities very very much, and for all different reasons. So. In wrapping up, you have Mantis news, and we're going to play a Mantis song in the at the outro, and you're going to tell us which one you'd like us to play. But tell everybody what's going on with Mantis, where they can find your new music, what's happening, because I love your new album, uh, which Billy's going to tell everybody about now. Mantis has reunited, come out with a new album. It's absolutely fantastic. So let's let's close on that. Share share the news.
2: Well, we did the album um it's actually a, a, exactly 1 year old as as we speak. We got back together. We wanted to go back to uh our pop rock roots. You know, we had a lot of songs cuz we all continued to write and we all we all continued to to see each other. We said let's get together. Let's write a couple of songs and and go back to our pop rock roots and let's write a couple of songs. It was our 40th anniversary. Last year was our 40th anniversary. We I asked Maddie, I said, You know, would you like to produce it? And he was like, oh, I don't know, yeah, yeah, Dad's getting the band back together, you know you guys get together let's let's see what happens and then we got together, and on that first day, I think we wrote twelve songs together we We came down and who had little bits and pieces and who had a couple of ideas, and we wind up with twelve songs, and then that first day, I guess Maddie saw that. We were serious about it and he was popping in and out listening and I guess he heard some stuff, some potential, something that he liked and we were going in the direction that he liked. And then the next day he was down there with us and we were, he was writing some parts and, and arranging stuff and saying, yeah, no, this song is more not really you guys, this is more like the older stuff, the dance stuff. Because we were just we just wrote whatever we 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 felt so we were writing dance songs we were writing pop songs we were writing rock songs, but we wanted the album to be pop rock. So Maddie took an interest, and then he said that he would produce us if we gave him full control. Because when, when the four of us are together, it's a little hard to control us. And Butch Jones is was our original engineer. He engineered this record with Maddie, and he knows that. So when the four of us are together, we, we could be a little hard, like most bands, we could be a little hard to handle. As soon as we gave Maddie the okay that he was going to have full control and we were going to listen to him and he was going to really be involved with it, we really wanted that because we wanted that young element. and I know how talented Maddie. we all knew how talented Maddie was, so we knew that it was only going to make what we did 10 times better. So he got on board, and then we took five songs from those 12. That we wrote those were going to be on the album and then we got together with him and we wrote another maybe 10 songs and then we picked the, the nine best ones and that's what went on the album matty produced it he played guitar did arranging and um, percussion he did a little he did whatever whatever had to be done and he did a great job on the production and he kept us up to date with all the new technology and we never had a record out before that was going to go on iTunes, and the old stuff is out on iTunes, but we we never had social media, so we were curious to see what was going to happen and Of course, we weren't doing it for money because there's no money to be made in records, and we weren't going to tour that was a, That was the question everybody was asking. Was were we going to play or are we going to that wasn't our goal either. So we did the record and we and we put it out, and we got a lot a lot of respect, and I don't think there was one person who didn't like the record, got a couple of great reviews.
0: You can't and not like the record, I'm, and I'm not saying that because you're on the show and that we're friends and all that. I mean, I'm putting my my mouth where my tastes are and what's really going on. The record's great. It's that simple. Oh, thank
2: you, thank you. And, and 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 for me, it was like just to remind people that yeah, this is the real deal, and you know, this is I pretty much could back up my whole life by saying you know, yes, I'm a drummer, yes, I'm a songwriter. This is what I do. And the four of us are like, we really are like brothers. So we were happy to be together. And, we, you know, we just had a blast, you know, having Maddie and Butch involved. It, it, it was just a great thing. So it we're happy with the, with the But record.
0: wait, are they same members? This is all original?
2: Yeah, all original members. Same members. Okay. You know, we had a good time. It was fun. It was fun to do. and and And, record. and then... I'm not going to drop Let's names, but, you know, well. I, the record was called Mantis, and then it's established EST 1976. And there's a yeah, Facebook man. page, you know, Mantis ah, so uh, it's established ni- ES- EST 1976. That's our Facebook page. The thing wasn't to like for us to put this out and then and, 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 like expect. We really wanted to put it out just to, just to do it because we love it. We were proud of every song that's on here. Hearing back from a lot of people in the industry, and not just drummers, just hearing back from some major, major of people sincerely calling me to tell me how much they they love the record and some of them genuinely surprised at how good it was because i used to play the drums and you know it used to be like you know i used to be in a band and i used to play drums but now i'm known as a, as an editor of modern drama magazine so the younger generation that i interview i don't even tell them that i play you know if they find out on their own they go oh i heard you did this record i heard you played on that record you know and i You know, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did that back in the day. And I'll say, well, that was the 70s. And they'll go, wow. To me, that means, wow, you're old. (laughs) It's like, when I hear that, when I say something about, you know, well, yeah, I was in a band, you know, in the 70s and blah, blah, blah. And they go, wow. Yeah, it's wow. But to me, that's like, wow, you're old.
0: (laughs) Well, now you're in a band that has a record out in 2018 and 19. So Mantis established EST 1976. So what song should we play as we bid goodbye to our audience for this segment billy mandola part two what what's your favorite song well
2: it's it's hard it's hard because there's so many different types of songs i mean the song i that 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 really is special to us is is a song called love someone because it's very Beatle influenced and we were all influenced by the beatles and it's also it's an anthem kind of song of us of our way of wanting to change the world
0: Well, let's let everybody hear it. Love Someone by Mantis, EST1976, coming right up. I'm David Frangione. I'm
1: Justin Lee. I'm Billy Amendola.
0: And uh, you've been listening to LIFE Life, Luxury in Full Effect. Thank you again, Billy, my brother, Justin, my brother from another mother. Thank you, guys. Amazing. And Love Someone, Mantis. Everybody knows the world.
2: On fire.
0: Everybody's getting out of hand. Everybody sees the hate that's breeding. Spitting fire from a foreign land.
1: Everybody's
0: gotta love somebody. Everybody's gotta love someone. Whatever happened to the place we live in? I want it like the way it was before. I can see what's coming now. The dogs are howling, and the devil's knocking at my door. But.